because we are going to uh, turn again uh, to look at uh, uh, the subject of disappointment. We began this last week, uh, a new series, uh, just three, uh, and doing something rather different to our normal routine. Uh, instead of moving from Bible to life, moving from life to Bible, taking a very common experience, something that all of us are aware of, the experience of disappointment, uh, and asking, what is it that the, the Bible, what does a, a, a Bible worldview seem to have to say about that experience? And, and in all sorts of ways, if I'm honest, last week we didn't get very far at all. Uh, we just considered the basic shape of disappointment. Um, how, as it were, we, we set expectations of the way things are going to be, uh, but then reality kicks in at a very different level. Um, and the gap between our, our experience and the, the expectations we've set, that gap uh, represents the disappointment that we feel. Now, not much that we covered last week, and yet it seems to have struck a nerve. Um, in an average term, um, I probably get maybe one or two emails um, about talks that I've given. Um, it, this past week, I had a, a positive flood. Well, okay, may, maybe half a dozen anyway. Um, but some of those emails were actually from leaders of small groups who were saying that, um, that, that the follow-up study that they'd had had been one of the most engaged uh, and, and, and thoughtful times uh, that they'd experienced in their small groups. It, it seems, in other words, that this theme of disappointment strikes a nerve with us. And the Bible knows that. Uh, Romans chapter 8 describes it as, as an experience of groaning. Uh, Paul says there that creation itself, as well as we who have the Spirit, those of us who are Christian believers, we groan as we anticipate what is to come <clears throat> and experience in the present that things are not as they should be. But that's what it means to live in a fallen world, to be frustrated, sensing that things aren't as they should be, things aren't as God intended them to be. We're disappointed. But the question is, what do we do uh, with that experience? <clears throat> and that's our focus uh, for these next couple of weeks. There are all sorts of directions I, I guess we could take this as we think, how do we respond to the experience of disappointment? Um, I want to begin by trying to see if we can get our way to the roots of our disappointment, to, to ask where it kind of comes from uh, and why disappointment seems to hurt so much. Well, we're going to do that by, by looking at the story of Cain and Abel. And I confess it may not be the most obvious place to go uh, to explore disappointment. But I'm going there because I think those early chapters of the Bible are a kind of they're like a seedbed uh, that establish the roots of all sorts of things. Uh, the roots of why our world is the way it is and the roots of why our experiences are the way they are. And that includes the roots, I think, of our disappointment. We're joining the story in chapter 4 then. 
immediately after Adam and Eve have fallen, that they've sinned, they've disobeyed God. Uh, and we step into the very next story, immediately after they have been expelled from the garden. So it's Genesis chapter 4, and Rachel is going to read that for us. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his son Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do, do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, in all sorts of ways, that is a story of disappointment. Uh, consider Adam and Eve for a start. Uh, think of the disappointment there. The joy of the birth of two sons, hooray! Uh, and then the tragedy, as uh, one son dies a, a violent death and at the hands of his own brother. And then that other brother, uh, falling under the judgment of God, cast out a fugitive uh, for the rest of his life. What disappointment that must have been to Adam and Eve. But actually, their disappointment, what happened to them, is, is not so much the focus of this chapter. And it's not going to be our focus either. Our focus is on Cain. Uh, and I want to, to follow through um, his experience under, under sort of three headings. Uh, first, healthy desire. Uh, and then a toxic demand. And then terrible damage. First then, uh, healthy desire. Uh, Cain generally gets a pretty bad rap, doesn't he? You, you don't hear many positive things uh, said about Cain. 
And yet, the very first thing that we're told about Cain is a good thing, isn't it? Look at it there in verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Cain worships. Cain Cain wants to to bring something to God, to present an offering to God, to, to, to please his God. And in considering the roots of disappointment, this is where we need to begin. Because generally, in our experience of disappointment, it's good things that we find ourselves missing, good things that we're pursuing and wishing were part of our lives. So so we, we want to be married, and we're not. We want to have children, and every month, just brings disappointment. We want good exam results, but the grades fall short. We want close friends, but it's evening after evening alone. We want health, and yet this sickness will not pass. We want a a bouncing, healthy baby, uh, and the look in the doctor's eyes tells us that that's not what we've got. We want parents who who will love and understand us. And instead, it's row after row. We want lockdown to end, a social life to return, a job, a career. And we remain disappointed. You see that in, in wanting those things, longing for such things, it's not as though we're chasing something bad. It's not as though we're desiring an affair or wanting to rob a bank, or desiring to establish a sort of a crime syndicate. Now, these are good things. But here's the rub. Often, we want them far too much. So, so come to, to a second heading. Because from healthy desire, we move to what I want to call toxic demand. In trying to work out what went wrong with Cain, why it was that Cain's offering was rejected while his brother Abel's offering was accepted, uh, you find that there is all sorts of speculation about this chapter. Um, Some people think maybe it was something to do with the the shedding of blood. Um, So the the animal offering that Abel brought was, was therefore better. Others notice that Abel brought a firstborn and think, well, maybe that had something to do with it, uh, something superior uh, as a result. But the passage doesn't really tell us any of those things. It doesn't tell us that that's the reason why one offering was received and one rejected. But what it does tell us, and I think this is the clue that we need, is the way in which Cain responded when his offering was rejected. You see it there at the end of verse 5, where we read that Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Let me just pause on that for a moment and think about it, because it didn't need to be like that, did it? At the point of finding that his his offering was rejected, instead of anger, Cain could have responded with apology. I'm sorry. 
what did I get wrong? Please, please, please explain what my mistake. I, I want to learn from my error so that I can do better next time. Cain could have taken that path, but he didn't. And the question is, why not? And the answer, I think, must be that Cain's desire had morphed. Instead of simply wanting to please God, Cain now, in a sense, he needed to please God. He had to please God. In fact, he positively insisted on pleasing God. Something that he wanted had become something that he needed. And something he needed had become something that he demanded. How else do you explain his anger? And I think the really sinister thing going on here is that it, it, it seems as if Cain almost imagines that he can take God's place. Um, look, suppose, um, suppose I go off to get you a cup of coffee. Um, and I decide uh, that the coffee that I'm going to get for you is, um, is a skinny latte with a, uh, with a shot of vanilla. Uh, and so I bring it back and present it to you with great expectation, and you say, latte? Vanilla? I can't drink that. Well, well the obvious thing to do at that point is to sort of apologize for having got you the wrong coffee and, uh, and offer to go and get you the, the right one instead because you're in charge of coffee. You decide what coffee you want. It would be bizarre for me to say that I'm angry with you for not liking the coffee that I've chosen for you. It would be like saying, look, I don't care what you think. I'm in charge of the coffee. I decide what coffee you're going to drink. Did, did you see the oddness of it? And do you see that that is what Cain is doing? Instead of treating God as king and finding out what, what it is that God wants and then delivering it, now Cain treats God as if God were his servant, as if it was God's job to, to please Cain by accepting whatever offering he brings. It's a striking shift, isn't it? A supplicant making a request becomes a, a demigod issuing a demand. So we've seen how a healthy desire morphs into a toxic demand. And now finally in our passage, would you notice how this toxic demand does terrible damage? It always will. We can't expect to play God without recognizing that that's going to do damage to us and to others. It certainly does so here. Verse 8 is chilling in its brevity, isn't it? Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Uh, and then murder is followed by denial. Uh, at least back in chapter 3, when uh, God confronted Adam, Adam fessed up about what he'd done. 
here, where God questions Cain about his brother's whereabouts, uh, all he gets in response is a surly lie. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, given that we're using this chapter to, to, to talk and think about our own experience of disappointment, I would imagine that it could be that at this point you think I am grossly overstating my case. Because you may be thinking to yourself, look, whatever disappointments I've had over the years, I've never, at least as far as I can remember, I don't think I've ever committed first-degree murder as a result. Well, okay, point taken. But remember what I was saying earlier about, about seedbeds, uh, about how this is the, the roots of our disappointment. And as it were, if I can muddle the analogy, from these roots, all sorts of different kind of plants grow. But they have some similarities. Uh, take, for example, the DIY project that you were engaged in yesterday and all the disappointment you felt when it went wrong. Now, I know that no one actually got murdered as a result, but didn't everyone in the family know to avoid you if they didn't want to have their head bitten off? Or what about that other disappointment, you know, the one the other week, when no one appreciated all the time and energy and thought you'd put into organising that event uh, and how you sat through the whole evening? feeling unappreciated, looking daggers at everyone. They didn't know why, but they did know that it soured the mood and killed the evening. Or, or about the disappointment from all those years ago, when your best friend got a boyfriend and you didn't. Looking back, it seems madness now, but such a, such a good friendship should have died because of it. But at the time, you just couldn't bear that they had what you wanted and you didn't. I could go on. You see, our, our disappointments and the way that we respond to them take a distinctly similar shape, even if the degree differs to what we find here. This is what happens when we act like God. When instead of humbly taking our place as a creature, we behave as if the world belongs to us, as if it's us to issue commands and demands left, right and centre. Well, our time is nearly gone. Uh, and uh, to be honest, uh, that may come to, to, to many of you as a bit of a relief. Because at this point, you may be thinking, well, thanks for nothing, Steve. When I got up this morning, I was just feeling disappointed. Um, now you've had a go, uh, and I'm just feeling awash with guilt as well. Well, I'm sorry if this talk is disappointing. Um, I could again claim that it's a master class in experiential learning. But actually, there is something better than that. You see, the terrible thing with disappointment is that it leaves us with nowhere to go. You have an expectation of, of life, and life fails to deliver. Well, what do you do? Apart from travel down one of those 
pretty unprofitable paths that we thought about last week. But if we can begin to see ways in which our own hearts are contributing to our experience of disappointment, and indeed our own hearts are, are precipitating damage as a result of our disappointment, well, do you see that then we've got something that we can do? We're not stuck anymore. There's a move that we can make, and a right move, a move that is important before God, and that actually turns out to be good for us as well. So just as we wrap up, let, let me explain that by suggesting two more moves that we can make, two more steps that we can take as we try to step out of disappointment. Here's the first. Step one is to grieve, to mourn the loss of that which is good. It's right and proper to do that. Many, probably most, of the things that we wanted and, and we're disappointed that, that have never come to be ours, there'll be desires for good things. And so it's right, appropriate for us to feel sad at their absence. Jesus did that. Jesus grieved over Jerusalem because Jerusalem would not repent at his coming. Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. There are appropriate griefs and sadnesses when something that we, we hope for, something good, fails to materialize. And sometimes that's all that is needed. I do, in the midst of this, want to be aware that some may be feeling a disappointment that ties in with, with a really wicked thing that has been done to you in the past. Uh, and if it's that kind of disappointment you feel, then can I say that, that simply to grieve the awfulness of what was done to you uh, may be the, the, the right and only thing that needs to happen as you bring lament and sadness and pain before God. And we shouldn't underestimate how difficult and how painful this grieving process may be. It can be agonizingly slow to arrive at the point of accepting that what we had hoped for doesn't seem to be God's plan for us. Uh, you might think of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. What was he cries out to God that, that to, to remove the thorn in his flesh, whatever that experience of, of suffering was, something in his life that he wishes weren't there. Three times he pleads with the Lord before finally he arrives at the place where he can accept that the presence of this thorn is God's plan for him. And he finds that he's able to accept it, to live with it, and even to draw strength from it. 
So the first step is to grieve the loss uh, of something good. Uh, and then the second, um, also hard, the second step is to repent. Uh, because if we do dig away, as it were, at the roots, then we may find that the moves that Cain made are moves that we have made too. So a good thing that we wanted has morphed into a, a demand of something that we must have. And we've ended up beginning to tell God his job. Well, in verse 6 of our passage, God exposes Cain's error and tells him how to correct it. Did you, did you see it there? Verse 6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Repent, Cain. God is saying to him, you're wanting this too much. And instead of bending your will to mine, you're insisting that I might bend my will to yours. And in that way, seeking to take God's place. But despite this appeal from God for, for Cain to see the magnitude of his error, he won't do it. He, he, don't, he doesn't do it. And because he won't repent, Cain ends our story a, a figure of tragedy. Man under judgment, a restless wanderer, cast out from the presence of the Lord. The story of your disappointments uh, and mine uh, don't need to end like that. We don't need to, to continue being controlled by demands that we will never fulfill. We don't need to continue causing damage to ourselves and damage to others as a result. For God holds out grace. In fact, you might even say that on the cross, Jesus Christ took Cain's punishment. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ did become a man under judgment, did become a man cast out from the presence of the Lord. And that means that when we cry to God for mercy, he will hear us and he will forgive us. And he will also, even if it is ever so slowly, help us to reset our expectations in order that disappointment might not have the last word in our lives. Well, next week we're going to see what that kind of freedom from disappointment might look like. Uh, for the moment, let's... Uh, end uh, with a prayer and then after that Rachel is going to lead us uh, into a time of confession uh, it may be
that as we have thought on this theme of disappointment together, and as I've suggested some of the ways in which our disappointment hides a demand of God, uh, that we see that there are things to be repented of. Uh, let me lead us in a prayer first, and then Rachel will lead. Uh, Father God, um, you tell us in your word that uh, uh, the heart is deceitful above all things, and who can understand it? Uh, and we acknowledge that um, uh, woven into our experience of disappointment are complexities uh, that uh, we only partly understand. Uh, and we know that uh, uh, there is this strange mix. And in some of our disappointments, uh, grief is the predominant thing. Um, and there is just a little bit of repenting to do. But in others of our disappointments, uh, there is much uh, to be repented of as we have demanded from you and persuaded ourselves that we know best. Uh, Father, forgive us. Uh, help us to set uh, those godlike uh, desires aside, uh, to put you back in the place uh, that rightly belongs to you uh, and be willing to submit to your will, uh, concerned for your glory, uh, convinced uh, that that will be good for our good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.